We're in Discipleship Lesson 2.2. Um, we are probably looking at the, the, the two most, uh, I don't know, they like to say holy. I don't know if that's the right word. But we're looking at the most religious two weeks. Let me just say that. We're probably embarking on the, the two most religious weeks that there is or there are in the year because every religion is celebrating something in this these these two weeks that we're dealing with so uh for the christian faith you know we we talk about uh like this sunday that's that's coming up we know that's palm sunday and you know then we have we like to say good friday coming up then easter sunday and so Every religion will be celebrating something in the next two weeks. And we'll talk about some of those things. But since we are in that time, we're going to talk a little bit about the passion of Christ. We'll talk a little about the passion of Christ. And one of his passion, we'll talk about that, that, that we experience or by reading, not from personal experience, is when Christ was tempted to give up. And so we're going to talk about that tonight on that particular topic of tempted to give up, tempted to give up. It's very important that we talk about this tonight because while we try to be macho man and we try to be strong people, uh, many of us will face that possibility, face that obstacle or face that temptation where we feel like we just want to give up. And so... Hopefully this lesson, prayerfully this lesson will help you tonight with the temptation to give up. So we're going to draw our lesson tonight from Matthew chapter 26. We'll start in verse 31. We'll start in Matthew 26 and we will start in verse number 31. Matthew 26 verse number 31. I'll go ahead and start reading. I know I hear Bibles turning. Maybe I'll wait for you. I know that, um, you know, you bring your Bible. That's kind of important. And so I won't let you down. I won't let you down. If you brought your Bible, I'm going to work with you. I'm going to work with you. So let's wait for everyone to get to Matthew 26. Amen. 31. We'll start in verse 31. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So we'll start in verse 31. Verse 31 says this, then saith Jesus unto them, he was talking to his disciples, all ye should shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. So a whole lot going on there. Yes, Jesus was talking about himself. Jesus was saying the shepherd will be smited, which is him. The Bible calls him the good shepherd. So he's saying he will be smited. And because of him being smitten, all of his disciples will begin to scatter. That is always true. When God tells us one thing, he might be dealing with a specific situation, but he's, he's telling you more than that. And so what he's telling you that's more than what this is saying is, when the leadership, especially particularly of a church, is smitten, whether by the devil or by God, 
the church will scatter. So if you want to know if, if, if the leader's been smitten by God or smitten by the devil, you just watch and see. Verse 32 says, but after I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said unto him, listen to Peter, though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Another lesson to learn. When you start saying what you will never do, get ready to do it. When you start saying what you will never do, get ready to do it. This is Peter. This was his man, the right hand man. This is the dude that preached the first message of salvation. And he said, I will never be offended. Peter spoke out of sincerity, but he also spoke out of emotions. He spoke out of sincerity, but he also spoke out of emotions. Jesus said unto him, verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said unto him, though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples. So Peter even took the position to say, Lord, look at me. Let me tell you something, Lord. I'm such, I'm so with you. I'm so about following you that I'm going to die with you. So how in the world would I deny you if I'm going to die with you? That's what Peter said. And when he got bold like that, the other disciples says, yeah, yeah, we're going to die with you. We're not worried about denying you. Verse 36. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane. And said unto the disciples, sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. Now here's some more stuff that's going on. He said to all the disciples, sit ye here while I go yonder and pray. Alright, follow it. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. So here's some more teaching. He had 11 disciples with him because one had gone off, the traitor. So now there's only 11. So when he went into the garden, he said to all the disciples, stay here. Then he told Peter, James, and John. It's not written, but I'm telling you what's going on. He told Peter, James, and John. But you three come with me. So there was eight that was sitting there. Three went with him. The Bible says he became sorrowful and very heavy. Verse 38. Then said he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye he, tarry ye here and watch with me. Now I want to tell you this. When he told them was to watch, he wanted them to watch, but he wanted support. The best way to support anyone is to pray for them. So what he was really saying to them, I want you to stay here and support me and pray for me. He was experiencing great sorrow. 
He was experiencing agony because he was going to do something that was going to cause him a lot of pain. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. Let me tell you something. Understand this, and I don't want you to be confused because it's the greatness of God. Jesus Christ is God and man at the same time. Now, the first thing I like to tell people, they said, well, how is that possible? If that's understandable to you and you are worrying about, or if it's not understandable to you and you're worrying about how is that possible, that's good. That doesn't give you carte blanche to say, well, I don't understand how that works. The day you are okay with just explaining everything about God, then maybe he ain't God. If you feel like you, you need to know and you need to have understanding and you can explain everything about God, will he really be God? When he says, my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your, if he's saying that, how do we think we can explain and understand everything about him? But I'm telling you, Jesus Christ, as he walked this earth, was fully human and fully God at the same time. And so... In this particular situation, the humanistic part of God was experiencing fear, was experiencing just just knowing the things that he's going to have to do in going through with this crucifixion business. And so he needed support. Disciples, I need you all close to me. I need prayer. We go through not crucifixion, and we always say, I need some prayer. Can you imagine how much prayer he needed for what he was going through? And so he brought his disciples for support. He brought them to be there with him, to comfort him, and to pray with him. He showed leadership, that there's different levels of leadership. When he first walked in, he says, sit here and watch, right? We found out eight of them were sitting there and watched. He took another three. Why did he do that? Another thing we like to question. Why is he letting those people do that? Well, Jesus did that. So we just have to learn how to go with the flow. And God will reveal to us what he wants to reveal to us when he wants to reveal it to us. If he chooses to reveal it to us. Jesus was tempted to give up the closer it got to. He's going to have to do it. He was tempted to give up. Jesus experienced the frailty of human life and was tempted to give up. We therefore experienced the same temptation to give up. So what I'm trying to tell you here tonight is if Jesus, who is the king of kings, experienced Temptation to give up. You have experienced it and you will experience it at some point in time in your life. Tempted to give up. 
Now you won't be tempted to give up on Calvary because only one was needed to go to Calvary. But you will experience and could experience temptation to just give up on life. I'm done with this life. Tempted to give up your life. You may be tempted to give up coming to church. You may be tempted to give up praying and reading your Bible because there's no result. You're not seeing anything. You may be tempted from living holy and righteous. You may be tempted to give up on your marriage. Ain't working the way it's supposed to. My spouse getting on my nerves. So you're tempted to give up on that. You could be tempted on giving up on praying for your children because you're praying and you're seeing no change. You may be tempted to give up on praying for that family member that's reckless, always doing wrong, but always coming to you to help them out. And they're still reckless with their life. And you're trying to tell them what the answer is, but they just want to live recklessly. And when they get in jams, they come to you. Can you help me out? You may be tempted to give up on them. You may be tempted to give up on the person that you keep trying to invite to church and you keep trying to witness to them and tell them about God, but they just not budging. You may be tempted to give up on them. You may be tempted to give up on treating people like a Christian. You're treating someone as you should as a Christian and they're not returning the same treatment to you, you may be tempted to just, I'm just going to give them a piece of my mind. I try to be nice to them. I try to bend over backwards to make them feel comfortable and they won't treat me right. We're both supposed to be Christians. Why aren't they treating me right and I'm treating them right? You may be tempted to say, I'm done with them. I'm just going to let them know how I feel and I can care less. You may be tempted to do that. You may be tempted to just be done with this church stuff. Tempted to be done with people who have done you wrong. You may be tempted to do all that. But I just want you to think about this one thing when you get to that place. Jesus was tempted to not go to Calvary. He was tempted to say, I can't handle this. It's too much. Just like how we get tempted to say, I don't want to do this. Going to church, that's just too much. I'm flowing on my Thursdays. Man, I could be home watching a baseball game or a football game. Man, I could take my wife out to do something. I could do something with my husband. Man, I can do this. I can do that. You may be tempted to do that. Man, I worked all day. I could have been just home. You may be tempted to do that. But just remember, Jesus was tempted not to complete the job because of what he was experiencing. And so, here's Jesus, as he began to pray. My God, help me tonight. As he began to pray, his flesh was wrestling with the Spirit of God. We got to realize that happens to us. That's the, he is showing us what we will deal with throughout our life. Flesh and spirit is going back and forth and struggling. And so many times we feel like, man, you know you're supposed to do something godly, but your flesh is saying, but I'm tired. Your flesh is saying, I just don't have the time to do that. Your flesh is telling you, you can't do it. But the spirit is saying, come on, you need to do it. What the Bible says, the spirit is willing, flesh is weak. That never changes. Your flesh is frail. 
we give this flesh a lot of credit and think it's all strong. It's frail. And it's selfish. And it only wants what it wants. And when it wants what it wants, it don't care who it hurts. It just wants what it wants. And the only thing that can help us is the Spirit of God. Man struggling with the will of God. We know what God wants, but we still struggle because our flesh is telling us, well, I just want to have my own way. Nobody cares about me. Nobody treat me right. Nobody do anything for me. So let me just get my own. Let, can I just take care of me? Can I tell somebody something really smart? You can't take care of you better than God can take care of you. We got to really get that because most of the times when we give into our flesh, what we're saying is, can I just do me? Can I just do me for a moment? Can I just let myself enjoy something? Can I just like do my little thing? I do right most of the time. I just need to do what I need to do for me. And I'm here to tell you, God will do you better than you can do yourself. So just stop when you feel that way and says, all right, God. This is what I feel. But the man of God says, you can do me better than the way I feel right now. So won't you do me a little bit better than how I can do myself, Lord? Two wills in conflict with each other. The will of man and the will of God. Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. When he said that, he rose up. And the temptation was conquered. It didn't show right then and there that temptation was conquered. But I'm telling you, just because I know the story, and you should know that, just because you know the story, that temptation was conquered after he prayed that prayer. There would be no surrender. There would be no giving up. He would see this matter through to its bloody, brutal End. He knew the end of this story was going to be bloody and brutal, but he still said, nevertheless, I'm going to see this thing through. Why do you believe the disciples missed this moment after all Jesus had told them? Jesus had told them that he was going to have to die, that he was going to have to give his life. Why, when he told them that... Before, why when he reminded them, oh no, oh no, they was fighting it. And I believe they was fighting it because we will always have a problem when something is being taken away from us. Even when it's not something we own. They did it to Jesus and people are going to do it to you. You're trying to live for God and people are trying to stop you. Why? Because if you start living for God, the comfort that you provide for them, it's no longer there. This is why people sometimes don't agree with you living for God. It's not because they don't know it's right living for God. But what they're saying is, if you start living for God, you're going to become faithful to God. You're going to spend time seeking God. And now I don't get no time with you. It's selfish. But that's what they're feeling. The disciples did the same thing. Man, Jesus, we was on the boat and the storm was going on. And you just woke up after we woke up and just calmed the sea and calmed the wind. Whenever we're with you, we were hungry. And we say, Lord, we're hungry. And you just multiply the fishes and the loaves. Man, God, people try to kill us and you protect. 
You can't leave. You've been taking care of us. We just like to always worry about us. We don't like to admit that that's what it's all about. But that's what it's all about. Listen, we have become so self-centered that it's not hard now to figure out why people do what they do. Before, it was a little bit more, all right, I got to really search out to see if they're being self-centered. But now it's easy because so many of us have taken on the spirit of me, my, what I need. Nobody not taking care of me. I got to look out for number one. With Calvary Lumen, he was tempted to give up as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Christ was at his most valuable, or should I say vulnerable, I'm sorry. He was at his most vulnerable point of his life. What a burden it must have been to know what was coming. Stop for a second and think about what a crucifixion is all about. And you knew it was going to happen to you. And you had to think about what they're going to do. They were going to crucify you. You knew it. What kind of mindset would you, We're not talking about just a bullet to the head and you're gone. We're talking about pain and suffering and mockery. We're talking about a whole lot of just, just doing you wrong. And you knew it was coming. A whole lot of pain and agony. And you knew it was coming. What would you have done? Because whatever he did, we would have did the same. Because he was just human. Just like me and you, even though he was God at the same time. What a burden it must have been to know what was coming. His flesh no more welcomed the approaching pain, just as yours and mine would not. Nails, thorn, a spear, and a cross would hurt him just as much as it would us. No wonder, he says, if it's possible, can you reschedule this? Can you alter this? Because I don't know, man. I don't know if I can go through. What was the temptation? Let's make it clear what the temptation was. The temptation is this. Christ could have refused to go to Calvary. Let you percolate on that. He could have, in midstream, when he got on his knees to pray, he could have at that time said, I'm not doing this. We, we, we think he didn't have a choice. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Jesus was not a hostage in the situation. The situation was not out of his control. No one was about to take his life. He was about to lay it down. All he had to do was just choose to call on God and says, God, take me out of this situation. And legions of angels would have stood ready with their sword to rescue him. He, he, he didn't have to do it. He didn't have to do it. He could have just said, nope. I can't do it. That's just too much. Just one express. One sigh of, I can't do it. He would have been rescued. No whip would have maimed his back. 
No nails would have marred his hands and his feet. No spear would have punctured his side if he would have decided, I'm not doing this. He could choose to save mankind or he could choose to save himself. This is what keeps me going all the time. Jesus could have chose to say later for y'all because y'all did me wrong anyway. Y'all was wrong anyway. Y'all was ungodly anyway. Y'all didn't want to live for me anyway. Y'all hated me anyway. You talked about me anyway. And you want me to go through with this excruciating, agonized pain? Oh, later for y'all, I'm going to make sure my body don't have to go through that struggle. That's what he could have said. He had every right to say that. Because when this game of life started, he gave us the guidelines. When a man sinneth, he shall surely die. And all we had to do was just not sin. But we chose to sin, not once, not twice, not three times, but over and over and over. Till he had to say, how many times shall you be forgiven? Seventy times seven over one sin. He had every right to refuse us and says, you know what? Man, I'm not getting no spear in my side. I'm not getting no nail in my hands and my feet. I'm good. I'm not suffering for this. Because they are ungrateful and they're unthankful. He could have said, "Mm mm-mm. So he had a choice. This is why it was temptation. He had a choice. How much easier it would have been to just give up. I ain't doing that, man. I can't. That's just too much. For what? I'm not going to hell. I'm not the one who messed up. I'm not the one who sinned. Why would I have to? Why should I even have to deal with that? How much more pleasant. The voice of his humanity cried out. Just give up. But the struggle was real. Here is something we need to think about. Do you think the short-term consequences and the long-term consequences of taking the easy way out are generally different? Did he start thinking about the short-term consequences of giving up and the long-term consequences of giving up? We normally think about the short-term consequences. Man, this struggle that I'm going through to die for them, uh uh-uh. But I believe what Jesus taught us was always consider the long term consequences. Yes, he could have relieved himself from the stress and from the pain, from the agony. Yes, he could have relieved himself from the thorn and from the nails and from the spear. He could have saved himself from that for a short while. But can you imagine the agony he would have been for the rest of his life knowing that he left us in our sins and we would have no hope? Because if he didn't do that, we would have no hope. We would have no way to get our sins removed. And so he thought long term. Can I tell you tonight, when you're in the struggle, can you think long term, please? When you're in the struggle, can you think long term and not short term? When you've been hurt, can you think long term and not short term? When 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 things are not working out, can you think long term and not short term, please? The temptation to give up is common, and it's a common one to all mankind. It shows up nearly in every field of endeavors 
where we will experience difficulty. The good news is that giving up seems to be a learned skill. It's not just something we just do. We learn how to give up. And you know why I will tell you that? We learn to give up and this is the proof. Babies, if it was natural and innate for us to just give up when it gets difficult, babies wouldn't know how to talk and they wouldn't know how to walk. If it was just natural for us to give up. If it, if it's just, if it was just a thing to do. Man, when it gets rough, just give up. You wouldn't be walking today. You will still be grown, half grown person in the bed, can't walk, can't talk. If give up was just natural for us. It's not natural. It's not natural. And so, if we learned how to give up, it means we can unlearn to give up. If we've got a given up attitude and a given up spirit every time it gets hard, you don't have to fear. You can learn how to get rid of that spirit and says, oh no, I'm not giving up. Oh no, I'm not giving in. I'm not a person that will give up. If that used to be my personality or my character, that was then. But now that I know Jesus, now that I know what he's done for me, I can't give up. I can't give up. Listen, this is a central part. We can talk about a lot of things. We can, we can get into the pretty things of the gospel and all that stuff. But I'm telling you something that's so centralized that this alone should be able to hold you till Jesus come back. Just what I'm talking about should be able to hold you over every time because all this is. What, I, what did I say over the years the hardest thing to do as a Christian? I've been, I, I've been saying it since I understood it. I mean, I'm talking about 15 years I've been saying it. What's the hardest thing to do as a Christian? People would say, praying, reading your Bible, studying. We can say all that stuff. You know what's the hardest thing, Brother D? Being consistent. That's it right there. There's nothing harder than that. There's nothing harder than every day waking up. I'm living for God. Until he returns. There's nothing harder than that. Because all the other stuff, the Holy Ghost will help you pray. The Holy Ghost will help you get revelation from the word of God. There are so many things that you will be able to do. But the hardest thing to do, because you won't always feel the presence of God. You won't always feel like you need to do something. But when you know what God has done for you, that should make you say, oh, I'm living for God today. Oh, oh, I'm going. I don't care what, I don't, I cannot give up. Not the way he rolled. The hardest thing to do as a Christian is to be consistent. When you become a, 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 a very consistent Christian, you're going somewhere. It's not a secret to the success. I'm giving you the secret to success in being a Christian. Be consistent. Because God is so good, he will not allow you to be consistent and not do great things in your life. He will not allow you to just keep on doing it every day, every day, every day, and just make you disappointed. Oh, no. Oh, no. Every day you wake up and you say, I'm living for God today. Every day you wake up, I'm going to serve God today. He will not let you down for that. He will always make sure he strengthens you and empowers you. It's not easy. It's the hardest thing to do. But if you can do it, 
heaven will be your home. Because the only thing that can stop you from heaven being your home is if you give up. No devil will defeat you. God has given you power over the power of the enemy. So the bottom line is God knows that you cannot be defeated. And the only thing that can defeat you is you. No devil can defeat you. You think God going to stand by and let the devil whip upon you? Just tell me that. Just, we just sometimes common sense just got to kick in. You think God is going to stand by and let the devil drive your life just to a pulp, to nothing, destroy you. And he just stand there and say, yeah, go ahead, devil, you can do it. He's not doing it. He loves you too much. He went through, he went through too much to allow that. You think he's going to make his agony of no effect? Just stand by and watch the devil just whoop you up? Not possible. So you don't have to worry about the devil going to get me. You going to get you. <laughs> That's what you better worry about. You got to say, God, don't let me get me because I'm my worst enemy. I'm the one that decide I'm going to do wrong. I'm the one that decide to quit. The temptation to quit usually shows up in these three occasions in life. I got three occasions in life that will, that, that, that will point out where temptation will show up for you to say, I quit. The first occasion that temptation usually shows up in to make you quit, make you want to quit, is when you're in despair. All right, y'all might not know what that means. I'll get there for you. Despair is to be without hope. When you feel like there is no hope, it means you're in despair. It means you feel like, I don't know what to do. And when you don't know what to do, I might as well give up. So when you don't have an answer, when you don't have any hope, you're going to feel that pressure from the devil to say, yeah, I'm not doing that. Mm -hmm. So when you're in despair, when a person feels there is no hope, he or she is well on the road to give up. If he or she genuinely believes no matter what they do, no matter how hard they try, the outcome will be the same. They will quickly weary and look to take the easy way out and give up. A man devoid of hope is pitiful, is a pitiful creature. You can see it in his eyes, his or hers. The Bible likens it to a sick heart. See Proverbs 13 and 12. When there's no, when you are despairing, you don't have hope. You can see it in people's eyes. I don't know what to do. I don't know. A person that is in despair is likely to surrender to his or her despair and simply give up if he or she does not find a glimmer of hope to cling to. You need hope. What is hope? Because that's what you need when you're in despair is hope. When you feel like there is no answer, you need hope. When you feel like you don't know what to do, you need hope. Hope is confident expectancy. Hope is confident expectancy. 
I'll help you out some more. Hope does not arise from the individual's desire or wishes, but it arises from God. See, hope is not I wish. Hope is not what you desire. Hope is I know who God is. Just like I just said to you. I just spoke hope and you didn't realize it. I didn't even realize it. Hope is God went through agony to give me an opportunity to be saved and go to heaven. Why would he stand by and let anybody destroy me? That's hope. So what you know is no matter what you're going through, you're going to be all right. Because God didn't go through what he went through for you to just be destroyed and go to hell. I remember one time my wife asked me how I'm so sure that I was going to heaven. I said, because God didn't go through all of this for me to go to hell. The race is fixed. The race is fixed, Brother D. We have every possible favor we need to have to go to heaven. The only thing that stops us is us. There's nothing that you don't have to. What am I going to make it? I don't know, man. I'm praying and I can't feel God. Don't even worry about that. I'm reading. I'm not getting understanding. Don't worry about that. I'm going to church and nothing is changing. Don't worry about that. God will not allow you to be right there and be destroyed. God is with you and God is working for you. Don't worry about what you're seeing. Don't worry about what's not changing. Don't worry about how hard it is. God is not in this to make you lose. There's no way. He's not in this to make you lose. He's not in this for you to lose out. He's not in this for you to go to hell. God created hell for demons, not the people that he created in his image, not the people he went to the cross for. He created us to spend eternity with him. The only people going to hell is the ones that kick and scream and say, I don't want to go to heaven. That's the only people going to hell. It don't seem like it, but I'm telling you the gospel. The only people going to hell is people that fight God and say, I don't want to go to your heaven. They may not say it like that, but it's just what they're saying by their disobedience, by their rejection. That's what they're saying. I ain't going nowhere, God. Leave me alone. Them the only ones going to hell. Not you. That's saying, no. No. God died for me. I may not have it all together. I may not yet have the Holy Ghost, but I'm going to keep on trying to get the Holy Ghost because God promised me he will give it to me. I may not yet, you know, know how to pray like everybody else pray, but if I just keep on going, God will teach me how to pray. I may not know how to serve in the church the way I see other people serve, but if I keep on going to church and I keep on listening to the preaching, I'm going to get good at doing that. You can't lose. Despair. The enemy used despair to try to get you to quit. So every time something come up and you feel like, my goodness, I don't have the answer. Because you will encounter some situations where you don't have the answer. Whenever those times come up, just start remembering who you are. That you're a child of God and God went to Calvary for you. Just start remembering that God is for you and he is on your side and he's not trying to let you go to hell. You're not going to be destroyed. 
The other thing that the, 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 the other occasion that comes in our life that causes us to want to quit is fear. Fear is to be afraid of something. In the book of John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, John wrote that fear had torment. So it means fear is not of God. It comes from Satan. And so when you're experiencing fear, it's not from God. When you start to say, oh man, I'm, I'm scared. When you start saying you're scared for any reason at all, Satan is at work. It's not God. When you feel tormented, it's not God. The devil is working. Let me tell you something. When you're living for God, what's the worst thing that can happen to you when you're living for God? You give up. (laughs) It's the worst thing that can happen. You give up. Why am I saying that? I'm saying that because I'm trying to get something grounded in you that God won't let any of these things overtake you. And when you're suffering torment, God will not allow that to happen to you. All you got to do is call on the name of the Lord. Lord, why am I feeling like this? Help me, Jesus. Fear has torment. That's from the devil. And check this out. He's passing on what he's experiencing. He's passing on what he is living in every day. He is the one that's in constant torment. We read his imps, his demons. Oh, Jesus, have you come to torment us at this moment? What do you want us to do? Don't kill us. Just cast us out the pig and we'll be gone. But don't don't torment us. They're living in torment. (laughs) And so you, you start to fear things. They're trying to get you to be like them. To live in torment. But you know who Jesus is. Knowing what was to come, his body will respond just like ours. Adrenaline, this is talking about again, the whole fearful thing that, 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 that his body wanted him to experience. And so while Jesus know, know, knew the crucifixion was looking him in the face, his body, his, his, his surrounding was trying to get him to be fearful. Adrenaline would just flood his system, causing his heart to race, his breath to be rapid. The fight or flight instinct would have been in full effect. Should I just run away and say I'm not doing this no more? Should I try to just fight my way, beat up all these people here? None of those was going to save us. All of what he was faced, none of his actions was going to save us except to not give up and go through with it. Maybe you don't know Jesus like you want to know him, 
So you don't know how to love him. But I'm giving you something tonight that make you say, I'm going to fight for Jesus now because he fought for me when he was praying. That's what he was doing. He was battling in the spirit just so I could one day have the opportunity to be saved. That's what he did. His flesh says, man, they ain't worth it. And the spirit of God said, yes, they are. And he battled in his prayer, battled. Just so today we would be here, have church and have an opportunity to be saved. This is why it's so crucial that we need to go tell people about it. Because they're out there in despair. They're out there in fear. They're out there in torment. They don't know what the answer is. And we have the answer and we need to give it to them. Fear and its cousin, worry, have driven many people to give up. Christians should not worry. You didn't know that? Worrying. I, I, I can tell you, it, it, it sounds real deep and heavy for saying this, but it, when, when I trace it back, it's true. But worrying is a sin. Because the Bible says to know, to know good and do it not. God is good. God is. So if I know God, he's good. Why am I worrying? You see how you, you see how we ended up sinning? We know God and we know he's good. So if I'm worrying, it says that I'm ignoring who God is. I'm ignoring that he's good to me. All right, we'll keep on going. You might catch that tomorrow. The other occasion that you, that, that, that will come into your life that will cause you to want to give up is doubt. When things don't look like it's going to work out the way you thought it was going to work out. Or, or, or you felt like God put a, an assurance in your heart and now the way our situations are unfolding, you're saying, this don't look like what God said it will. Oh, no. <laughs> One of the things I love is um, when God called David, the king, King David, to be a preacher. And David was a little old dude. And after he'd been anointed to be the king of Israel. Man, it must. It, 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 I think it probably took. Twenty something years. Before he be, he was anointed, I, I, I think he was anointed at 13. So what's that, 17 years? Probably 17 years of his life, he was running around like a chicken without his head, without his head. Because he knew he was called to be king of Israel, but everything in his life didn't say that. <laughs> we got to be careful of that, because that will bring in doubt. We read the promises of God in the Bible, and we're looking around and we're saying, that's not happening, God, what's the problem? That will bring in doubt. Doubt comes from just stuff happening that's not pointing towards what you think it should point towards. Every decision to give up has doubt as one of its roots. Whether that is doubt in our ability or doubt in God's ability. When we allow doubt to overwhelm us, we are Easy target for the voices of hell that encourage us to quit. Doubt is to be uncertain about something. When you become uncertain about something, you, you're doubting. A person who gives up 
has failed to remember God's word to Moses. In Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 16, the Lord said to Moses, Be strong and of good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. God says he will not fail us, nor will he ever forsake us. He will not leave us alone. This is what I mean by we're going to have to fight him. Get off me, God. Leave me alone, God. We're going to have to fight him for him to ever forsake us. And is that really forsaking us when we're the ones that's fighting them off? Ask yourself this question. Of doubt, fear, and despair, which do you believe is the most common cause of giving up? Doubt, fear, or despair? Doubt, doubt, yeah, okay. There's a pattern for perseverance. Jesus showed us the pattern for perseverance. So we got to guard against those three things. Doubt, fear, and despair. So we don't give up. Because when those situations come up in our life, it will cause us to give up. So we have to guard against doubt. We have to guard against fear. We have to guard against despair so we don't give up. But here's a pattern to persevere in life. No one has ever overcome a greater opportunity to give up than Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. The night when he was there with his disciples. No, no one ever faced any situation greater to say, I give up. I just can't. We don't even understand what it's like for someone that never sinned and had to take on sin from the people that sinned because that's what he was trying to rid us from is sin, the power of sin and, and what that felt like. Let me give you just a little example. This, this can't even do it justice. Have you ever been in a situation, even if you want to go back to as a kid, you've been in a situation where you did something wrong. And you knew you did something wrong and you didn't want anybody to find out. Just think about that. That was a weight on you. Right? You were burdened with that. Man, I hope nobody finds out. And you're burdened with that. That's just one thing. I'll give you a good one. I remember I had a friend. Excuse me. I had a friend. He got three E's. Back in my days, it was E's. I know it changed to F's, but back in my days, it was E's. He got three E's. A couple of C's, a couple of D's, no A's. No, he might have had an A in gym. And he went and changed the three E's to B's. <laughs> That's my boy, too, my boy. He on Facebook blowing it up now. I can tell him that joke, he would die. Three E's, he changed them to B's. He got an older brother. His older brother found out he changed those E's to B's. After he gave his report card to his mom. So his older brother pulled him to the side and says, I know you changed those E's to a B. Mom don't know, but I know. 
he blackmailed him. My boy had to take the garbage out all the time. There was no turns in who washed the dishes. I mean, he was just done. <laughs> just think every day he coming in. Oh, yo, take the garbage out. You know, his, bro- his brother just started being just bragging. No, take the gar. You better take the garbage out. <laughs> all right. Oh, I'm not washing the dishes tonight. You washing the dishes. I mean, he killed my man. That's a that's a load he was carrying around because he didn't want his mom to know he had three E's. When Jesus went to the cross, he was carrying all of our sins. That's the agony that he was going through that we can't understand. All the wrong that we've done. He was walking around with that cross and all the wrong we've done in his life. And he ain't never experienced no weight in his life because he never sinned a day in his life. He was carrying around all that sin. So, Jesus gave us some weapons to use to overcome temptation so we won't give up. So we can persevere through life. The first one is prayer. If you're going to persevere in life, prayer is the first weapon you need to make sure you utilize. The night in Gethsemane is certainly a perfect example. Though it should be noted that he did not wait until that crisis hour to learn to pray. Throughout his life, one can find numerous examples of his prayer life. So Jesus didn't wait till that night. That night when he brought his disciples with him to pray, that wasn't the night that he finally decided, let me pray because I'm getting ready to be crucified. We, we 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 do that. We don't really pray. We don't spend time with God. And as soon as it get bad, now we bawling. Oh God, help me! And now we praying. Can I tell you a secret? Very seldom people pray for you better than you pray for yourself. We like to tell people pray for me. I don't really tell nobody pray for me. My mom do a good job, and I appreciate that. But 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 I, I I tend to trust my prayer a little bit more because I know what I'm going through, and I know how to bring it to Him. And if I ask you to pray for me, you might say, "Lord, touch him, whatever he's going through. Lord, will you help him? You know, provide a way for him as he's going through, Lord." And me, I'm just I'm digging in. Lord, don't let my enemy triumph over me, Lord. Don't let the wrong that's in me overcome me and let me do wrong like them. Those are things I got to start saying because I know my heart. Well, a lot of my heart. And so I got to pray those prayers so I know it's wrong. But when I ask you to pray, you just say a nice little pleasant prayer. Maybe some of y'all pray hard for me. Each of these prayers that he prayed was preparing him for the big moment. We would do well to learn that lesson in our lives. Prayer is not something simply reserved for our weakest moment. Prayer is the source of spiritual strength throughout our lives. If you don't pray, you are a weak Christian. And I'm going to have to tell you, not just nice prayers. I laugh at my kids in the morning. 
a lot of mornings I get out of the shower. They waiting for me because they get dressed before me and everything like that, right? So I get out of the shower in the morning. I'm coming out the, the shower and I'm going to my room to get dressed. And they look at me and they just hear me praying. They just, I don't know if they get mad. I don't know what they get. They did it this morning again. I came out, I came out the shower and I'm talking in tongues, praying up a storm in my robe and I'm talking, I'm praying, I'm going to the room. And I think Jordan was waiting for me by the door. He went, Dad, uh, he just got quiet. <laughs> Dude is like, man, I, he, he said it to me the other day, Dad, why you always, why we hear you in the shower praying? Well, I got to get it in. And it's not just no regular, Lord, thank you for this day. Lord, I appreciate. No, man, I'm digging in. I'm digging my heels and I'm praying. I'm just like lighting it up. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm going deep. Lord, do something. I'm praying for y'all and y'all names start coming to my mind. Y'all faces start coming. I'm praying for y'all. Lord, I get into the job. I'm praying for the people at the job and I'm just losing my mind sometimes, man. But, but the prayer is what keeps you strengthened. Throughout the day, if you don't pray real good in the morning, you weak throughout the day. Listen, 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 listen. Here is some prayer stuff. I've prayed this, Brother D, and I watched it. And then I don't pray it and I watch it because I've got to observe stuff. And so I've prayed days where I says, God, every evil that try to come my way, drive it away from me and keep it away from me. Nothing budge. Nothing even come my way. And then there's days where I just don't pray it and evil will come. I said, man, it's important to pray in the morning. It's not just simply saying words to say, I did my duty. You got to really pray. And so I would pray certain prayers and watch what happened and pray other prayers and watch what happens. It's important to pray. And you need to pray before you enter into temptation. If you don't pray before you get into temptation, you're going to succumb to temptation. That's probably one of the biggest challenges we have is we don't pray. And so when we don't pray about when the temptation come, we don't have no fight in us. We just give in to it. If we have populated places of prayer before our hour of temptation we will be more apt to turn to prayer for strength at that moment. When you pray a lot, I've found myself that I've prayed and prayed and stuff go wrong. And all I said was, God, I'm not even going to pray about it. Because I've already prayed. I've been praying about it. And so when it finally happened, because you know it's something that could happen, it finally happened. I said, Lord, I prayed. I trust you. You've never let me down. You've never let my enemy destroy me. I trust you. I'm not even praying. I'm moving on to, you know, I remember Brother Woodward saying, we're going to have Brother Woodward in Secaucus tomorrow night. I remember Brother, Brother Woodward saying, men, and I, I just was shouting on it because I knew it was me. He, he said, men praised offensive prayers and women praise defensive prayer. And so I don't have time to worry about behind me. I'm looking forward at all times. Lord, I don't know what today may bring. But when I go in Starbucks, wherever I go, Lord, will you give me an opportunity to be a witness? Will you give me an opportunity? Let me see it before it happened, Lord. And I'm worried about what I can do. Not what's behind me. I ain't got time for that. My wife might pray about what's behind me. I gave her some stuff the other day. She might pray about the folks that's trying to get me. She'll pray about it. I ain't got time for the folks that's trying to get me. 
I don't have time for that. My goodness. God, God has been so good to me. You hear me keep saying that if I died today, I would have achieved more than I thought I would have achieved in this life. If I dropped dead right now, I would have done more than I thought I would ever do in life. It's just me. So the enemy in trouble and people, they're in trouble. People that might come again, they're in trouble because to me, do whatever you want because I've done more than I thought I would do. It don't matter to me. Whatever you want, go ahead because guess what? What God has done and God keeps doing and I'm sitting back like, God, man, you're so good to me. Man, oh man, y'all live for God. He will be good to you. Just keep on trusting him. He will be good to you. Jesus also demonstrated the, the other thing that you want to put in your life to persevere is the word of God. You want to make sure you hold firm to the word of God. When previously confronted with the temptation of taking the easy way out, when the devil said to Jesus, bow down and worship me and I will give you all the kingdoms of the world, it was surely a temptation. But Jesus defeated him by saying, it is written, it is written, it is written. I use the word of God all the time. I just helped y'all tonight with the word of God. That Jesus went to Calvary to save me. Jesus calls me the apple of his eye. Jesus says he loves me. So if that's true, and I know it's true, I am not going to worry, and I'm not going to fret. And what you try to do to destroy me, I'm not worried about it, because Jesus loves me. When you know those things, you quote the scripture. Then you say, God, today I just don't feel you. Some days I feel you strong, other days I don't. But I remember you said... That you will never leave me nor forsake me. So I don't feel you, but I know you're here with me. Then I quote and say, God, all the weapons that is formed against me, I know they formed, but you said they will not prosper. So when all the weapons are formed against me, I know that you will keep them from prospering over my life. It's the word of God. And when I say that to God, he just smiles and says, look at him. <laughs> he know what to say to me. He got me blushing over here. She got me blushing over here. Just quote his word to him and he'll just start blushing. <laughs> he don't have a choice but to do the right thing when you start quoting his word. We must be well versed in the scriptures to withstand temptation routinely. For they will help us to see the temptation for what they are. Can I tell you what temptation is? Temptation, write this down, temptation is, to a Christian, deception. That's all temptation is. Temptation is deception. That's all it is. So temptation is there trying to deceive you from what you are supposed to do. So as you are trying to live for God and walk in God, temptation is there to deceive you to make you think something else is better than what you're doing. Y'all need proof? Go back to the Garden of Eden and then talk to me. Eve was tempted because the, the tree was good to look upon and one to desire. She gave up some fruit. She, 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 she gave up her authority and power that was in her for some fruit. 
for some tree that looked good. Temptation is deception. And when you fall for temptation, what you have been, what, what has been done to you is deception because nothing is worth your relationship with Jesus Christ. And so when you allow temptation to get in your way, you are, you are forsaking your relationship with God. You are putting a wedge between you and God just to please your fleshly desire. Thank you for helping me, God, because we do that so often and we've done that so many times. But I'm glad, I'm glad, God, you have helped us and we're at a place, Lord God, where we understand it is not worth it. The temptation that we face, they're all deception and they're not worth giving up our relationship for. Mm -mm. The third thing that you want to practice in your life to preserve yourself Is fellowship with Christian people. Fellowship with good Christian people. This is a big one. This is a big one. Big one. Because when you lack praying, right? When you lack the word, but if you hang around strong Christian people, they will encourage you to pray. They will encourage you to study the word. So fellowship with strong Christian people is valuable. When you stay to yourself, you do a disservice to yourself. You want to grow in God? Get around other strong Christian people. Learn from them. See what they're talking about. See how they live their life. And begin to understand some things as a Christian. Fellowship. We fellowship on Facebook, and that's hurting us. We fellowship on Twitter, and that's hurting us. We need to get into each other's life. We need to go out to dinner. Brother D, we need a men's dinner. Just schedule it, brother. We're going to have a men's dinner. The ladies going to have their ladies' conference coming up soon, so they're going to have a good time. They can run around and hang out together. We need a men's dinner where we can sit down and eat steaks and just talk foolishness. There ain't got to be nothing, nothing substantial. Just sit around and talk foolishness. <laughs> we got breakfast on the calendar when? The 22nd? Where? Okay, breakfast. All right, good. We'll get something going. Just go talk foolishly. <laughs> that's what we do. When women hear us talking, they just walk away like, they ain't talking about nothing. <laughs> you see Sharon shaking her head talking about, yeah, yeah. They walk away like, we're not talking about nothing. It's okay. We don't care. We just want to just hang and talk. Fellowship is important. Though he was God, as man, he recognized that he could withstand this hour better if his disciples would accompany him and assist him. The fact that he did the former but not the latter does not negate the principle being taught here. We are stronger in the company of fellow worshipers. All too often when a child of God is discouraged and the enemy begins to whisper that he should just quit, his default reaction is to pull back from the church. Why is that? Can I tell you all a secret? I remember I first got into church. This was 
21 years ago, probably. Me and my wife had just got married. Well, probably not right then there. Right after we got married, probably about 18 years ago, right? And so I was doing the checkbook. And I bounced the check, Brother D. I'm a young boy. No, I'm not that young. But young enough where I bounced the check. My wife gave me a hard time. And I was in church. I've always liked to sit in the front of the church. And I have no idea. The pastor just kept preaching about, you got to be responsible. Can't bounce checks and just, just preaching stuff that I'm like, ain't no way he can know that. My point for telling you that is, he would preach that at this service, then he went to preach in another church. I went to the other church too where he was preaching. And he was just preaching about men being responsible. I'm like, Man, I'm never going to live this down. And he don't know. He's just preaching. My point for telling you that is, sit in that fire. Don't you punk out when you come to church and you hear the preacher preaching something hot that's going against what you just did. Don't you think it's the preacher just just giving you a hard time. Just realize I'm going to be a man of God and I'm going to let him say what he got to say and I'm going to take it like a man and I'm going to deal with it. It helped me. It helped me. But at the time, I was just like, man, I'm getting destroyed. I feel like you was just coming at me. But it helped me. Because I was never going to let it drive me away. Because when you allow those things to get on your nerves and drive you away, when you get alone, you are easy prey for the enemy. When you live for God and you stay by yourself, you are an easy target for the devil than the person that's not being by themselves. Being by yourself make you an easy target. That's where the devil can whisper nothings in your ears. That's where the devil can tell you to quit. That's where the devil can make you doubt. And when those things happen, he will cause you to be by yourself. As a Christian, you don't want to be by yourself. Find a way to be around other Christians that are strong. Find a way to spend time with people that that love God. Find a way to be with them because it will strengthen you. How do you know when you're doing good? How you know you're doing good? Well, you're just going to make yourself feel good. I know I'm living for God, right? Who told you that when you're by yourself? But when you get around other people that you know, they've been walking this walk for 10 years. They've been walking this walk for 15 years. And then you're watching how they behave and you realize, okay, okay, okay. I see what they're doing. I, I do that too. Now you see and say, okay, then I'm doing all right. But being by yourself is not good. It, it, it's, we're, we're taught that the way how the wolf destroyed the sheep, he tried to get him to stray away from the flock. And once he by himself, destruction. I don't know, I heard this. I don't know if you ever heard this. They said if the wolf ever tried to come in the pack of the sheep to try to take one, you know what the sheep do to him? What the sheep do to him? They all get close together 
Tom got to know this, right? They all get close together and they all just get so close that they just squeeze him to death. They just squeeze him up so he can't bite, he can't move. So all the sheep will just come close together when the wolf get in the pack and they will keep him from being able to move, to bite them, to do anything. So when we're together, we will destroy the enemy together. But if we come by ourselves and be there, the wolf is strong enough. You can't beat the devil on your own. I know it's greater that it is he that is in me than me that is in the world. But all of us go through despair. All of us face fear. All of us go through discouragement. All of us go through things. And the, th- the time that we're going through it is when the wolf, is when the devil will come to destroy you. But when you're around people, different ball game. When you have people in your life, like I got people that at least if, if, if we don't hear from each other in two days, oh, we calling each other. Hey, man, what's going on? You, you good? I haven't heard from you in a couple of days. Stay connected to stay strong. Stay connected to stay strong. If you're disconnected, it's going to keep you from being strong. Listen. We have to fellowship. We have to spend time together. It's going to strengthen us. We have to learn how to pray. Can I tell you that every failure that we will experience in our Christian life is because we failed to pray before it even happened to us. We have to stay together. We have to pray together. We need to make sure we know the word of God. We can't quit. We can't give up. One of the other thing, the last thing that I'm going to tell you in order to stay strong is we have to renew our commitment to God through prayer. What does that mean, preacher? Okay. Each of us need to have a regular time in which we renew our commitment to God. Even though we have been serving God for a year, two years, whatever it is, there is a great value in kneeling at the altar or at your home, wherever you are, and, 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 and just pray and say, God, I surrender to you. Pray and say, God, I will obey you. I will obey your word. I will follow the leading of the spirit and I will do your will. Verbalizing your intention to live for God and never quit helps affirm your faith and establish you for the journey. So, so, so just frequently throughout the week, just talk to God and say, God, I know what you did for me and I'm never going to give up on you. I'm never going to quit. I'm going to keep on obeying the word. I'm going to keep on allowing your spirit to lead me. I'm going to keep on doing your will. I know that you've called me for this time and that you want heaven to be my eternal home. I'm here to tell you, God, here I am. Do whatever you want in my life. Do whatever you want in my life. We can't quit. We can't let despair get us. We have to replace despair with hope. We have to replace fear with love. We have to replace doubt with faith. Never make an eternal decision in a difficult moment. Never make an eternal decision in a difficult moment moment. I'm going to tell you this story and I'm going to close. There's a guy from Great Britain, a track and field guy. His name is Derek Redman. Derek Redman. He's a track star from Great Britain. 
It was late September 1998, and the contestants were lining up for the 400-meter race at the Summer Olympics in Seoul, South Korea. Among them was the runner from Great Britain, Derek Redmond. Derek held the British record at the 400-meter. He was the record holder for the 400-meter and considered the favorite to win that race at the Olympics in Seoul. As he completed some stretches at the starting line, just about 90 seconds before the race began, Derek felt a terrible pop in his ankle. Later, tests prove he had a torn Achilles tendon. Undaunted, Derek purposed to compete again at the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona. To do so, Derek had to go through eight surgeries to fix up himself in order to be ready. A lot of rehab, a lot of training, and his will had to be in it. Finally, the day arrived, and this time he sprinted from the block when the starter's pistol went off. About a fourth of the way around the track field, history repeated itself. Derek tore the hamstring in the back of his right leg. He immediately came to a stop on one knee, and all the spectators assumed he would simply limp to the infield of the track and await a stretcher. Why should he continue? He could not possibly win. Once again, there would be no medal hung around his neck. He should just quit. Instead, Derek rose and began to limp and hop and hobble along the track field. Never stopping, though the other runners had long since completed their race. The crowd began to cheer for Derek. Back in Great Britain, his mother and grandmother wept as they watched. But up the stands, a husky man in a ball cap that says on it, just do it, rushed down the stairs. He pushed past security and ran alongside Derek. His name was Jim, but Derek called him dad. He placed his arm around Derek bore as much of his weight as possible, and together they crossed the finish line to a tremendous applause. Derek finished the race with the help of his dad. When the hurts happen and the temptation is there to quit, please remember that your father stands ready to come to your aid. He will offer his strength when yours is gone. You will he, he can, you can lean on him and together you will reach the finish line. All he needs to see is that you will follow his pattern and simply refuse to quit. The applause you hear in the distance is for you. Just don't quit. Whatever you're going through, just don't quit. Because when God sees that you don't quit, he come alongside you. He go arm in arm with you and go with you. All he's asking you is to do what he did. Don't quit. When the moment is just difficult and despair 
and temptation arise, just don't quit. He'll come alongside you. Derek was in the track and field and he went through a whole lot to finish a race. Didn't get no medal, but he didn't quit. Now we're talking about our eternal destination. What should we do? Bow your heads. Father, in the name of Jesus. Truly, Lord God, you have riveted this word into my heart, into my spirit. Uh, There are going to be challenges and temptations to quit that will come all our way. But God... I pray that this message tonight will keep us riveted to realize that all we have to do is keep going. 